0: Hannah Whitten has been writing to amuse herself since she could hold a pen and sometime in high school figured out that what amused her might also amuse others. When she's not writing, she's reading, making music or attempting to bake. She lives in an old farmhouse in Tennessee with her husband, children, two cats, a dog and probably some ghosts. welcome hannah
1: thank you for having me thank you thank for you. joining us
0: <laughs> the first time i read your bio to myself i was reading it in a rush um, on my phone and i read and probably some goats
1: i was like <laughs> <this is> "Goats? <laughs> there's goats sometimes not all the time Ghost they goats. show up occasionally yeah. <laughs> there is a goat that lives across the street from us mm-hmm. that gets out of his pen very frequently and will sometimes come into the yard so i guess possibly some goats like isn't wrong so you kind of babysit a goat yeah he that's just nice. he doesn't really require a whole lot of babysitting you just like look <laughs> out and you're like ah, oh, nice goat <laughs> a surprise goat see yes.
2: <laughs> I love it yeah I love your stuff I'm so excited thank you, thank thank
0: you me too. So much. <laughs> we were raving yeah. about you before you before you came on so. <laughs> yes
1: that's so nice thank you <laughs>
2: I know, and um, I remember, so I had messaged you at one point on Instagram and congratulating you, but uh, I'll say it out loud, you're full-time now as an author. I am, yeah, yes. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, it's been really cool. It's a weird transition,
2: but really cool. Yeah, what were you doing before, if I can ask, or like while yeah. you were
1: I in, worked space? in um I worked in social media advertising, mm-hmm. actually. Um, That's why mostly... your Instagram's
2: so cool. Okay,
1: <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, it was mostly for like car dealerships, so uh-huh. like very different vibe. <laughs> yeah, but... you don't you don't read as car dealership. No, <laughs> thank you. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was writing a lot of tweets mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, and I actually. I was doing it part time because I'd, I'd done it full time after college. And then whenever I had my first daughter, I dropped back to doing it part time. So mm-hmm. which is the only reason that I had any time to like write a book. <laughs> so definitely um, in a very privileged position there to be able to get to do that. But it's been really cool to do it full time. And, you know, yeah. get to go get naps whenever I need to. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's part mean. of your process. Yeah, now. <laughs> it really is. Unfortunately, <laughs> honestly,
2: though, that's validating to me because uh, you know, Gabby and I have talked about this. I'm I'm in this weird space right now in my life where I, I used to be a morning writer because yeah. I love getting up in the morning I want more power and to you. yeah. <laughs> well, it's like <laughs> I am just... not a morning <laughs> writer, so whenever okay. she
0: says that, I'm like,
2: but it's just like the the space of just being like the only one up is so nice and I love that and it's something the way my brain is in the morning it's there's something magical there and then I can't do that anymore because my work schedule changed and Gabby and I had actually talked about how what if I took a nap and then
1: wrote after work so anyway I'm I'm trying to figure out my life it's really smart actually to like try and game your brain yeah Yeah. always (laughs) I've done that like whenever I've been on a really tight deadline I've done that where I wake up at like five and go mm-hmm. right and it always like works out really well because it's like something about doing it kind of before your whole brain turns on and so you're not like mm-hmm. overthinking it mm-hmm. it's really helpful but also it just makes me a terrible person for the rest of the day It's mm-hmm. so, like <laughs> some give and take there <laughs> I,
2: like the jerk in your brain is asleep but the jerk in your heart is awake but the jerk in my heart is uh, <laughs> eternally awake so oh my god that resonates so much with
0: me yeah I'm, I'm generally a night writer but you know then I stay up late and write and then in the morning I'm grumpy so
1: I was very I much guess, a um, night writer like at this point I've I'm, I'm a middle of the day right <laughs> like it's like uh my daughter's in school so I have like a pretty big chunk kind of in the middle of the day and that's when I try to get everything done but I feel like I definitely do more if I do it at night versus like Mm -hmm. trying to make myself wake up and do it in the morning
0: yeah and it's kind of funny as well because it's it's sort of a little bit what you said Courtney about waking up and being alone for me that's at night like everybody's Mm -hmm. just leaving me alone and I can do things that I don't have to worry about anyone else I can just be in my space and be with my story
1: yeah. I feel like that's kind of the key is just like mm. uh, find a time of day that everyone is going to leave you alone. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the quest. Yeah. yeah. Like I can draft distracted because like I know I'm going to change most of it anyway, but I can't revise distracted. Like I have to be dialed in mm. for mm-hmm. revising, but drafting, I remember whenever my kid was really small, like I would just write whenever she was like occupied. For you know, like ten minutes at a time. (laughs) It was like I could probably get two hundred words in this ten minutes if I really just don't care what they sound like. (laughs) That's what I would do too. And then sometimes
0: they turn out to be a great two hundred words, and sometimes I'm like, "Ah."
1: yeah, very (laughs) like
2: (laughs) there. Well, today we're uh, when we messaged you, we were we want to talk about dark politics. So I'm sure we can talk about. A bunch of things. Uh, we <laughs> we have a bunch of questions. And I feel, you know, when I when we were talking about all the things that we want to ask you, there's just a monster amount, right? And so we're <laughs> gonna we're gonna try to figure it out because there's so many things. But um, one of the things that I love about your books, at least the duology there is there, I feel like there are just these dark politics at play. And I'm wondering about when you're like
1: ideating for a story, is that something that you're thinking about? Sometimes um, it depends on the book. It is not something that was like at the forefront of my mind whenever I was plotting uh, the Wilderwood duology. It was kind of something that as I revised, because I I revised for The Wolf extensively over like a three-year period. Like the book that it started as and the book it ended up as are very, very different. Mm -hmm. So mostly because I didn't know what I was doing whenever I wrote the first one. Like it was very much just A fun like for me project and then whenever I decided I wanted to make it into an actual book and those need things like plot (laughs) (laughs) I had the like as I was kind of discovering the book and revising more is when kind of like the political aspects of it came around more but for like for the fox love king and for this next trilogy that i'm doing um the politics are very much at the forefront and so that was something that i like spent a lot of time thinking about whenever i was plotting the trilogy out and pitching it and stuff so it really depends on the story for whether or not that's something that i'm thinking about a lot or not Mm
0: -hmm. do you feel like your process has changed quite
1: extensively then since you had yes quite a extremely Um, I started out very much as a discovery writer. Um, mm-hmm. where I didn't like, I usually would like have a vague idea of what I wanted the end to be like, but I had no idea how I was actually going to get there. And you can't do that so much whenever you're like on deadline and have pretty hard dates you have to hit to like be done. So I'm an outliner now. Um, and it doesn't really come naturally to me, <laughs> but. It is very helpful, which I hate. Like, I hate the fact that if I actually sit down and outline a book, it's like, this is a lot easier. And that makes me angry. (laughs) But even my outlining process is still like super chaotic. Like, it's, I like to do chapter outlines. So, which kind of ends up like a zero draft, because I'll just like sit down and be like, chapter one, this happens, this happens, this happens. And if I have an idea for like dialogue or a set piece or something, I'll like stick it in there. Mm -hmm. And nobody really sees those my agent does occasionally, but I usually try to clean them up for her. But even like things still change, even though I outline. So I, tr- I try to like kind of thread the needle between knowing the overarching things that I need to do and like allowing room for discovery, because that's where I find a lot of good stuff.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I feel like all the, the good stuff happens when you surprise yourself. We, we talked yes, about absolutely. this lot, but yeah.
1: Yeah. A lot of like things that by the time the book is finished feel like very integral to the story are things Mm -hmm. that like just kind of come in the moment. And it's like, Mm -hmm. Oh, this actually ties everything together. Surprise. Thank you brain. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that amazing though, how that just works. And it
2: makes that kind of thing. It makes me wonder about the, Don't know, like the oversoul of writing or storytelling, you know, because it it is like how how is this channeling through? And um, for everyone listening, I'm just making a vertical (laughs) line down my body.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It really is wild because a lot of time it almost it feels like your brain like clicks on and clicks off, like into story mode. And so much of sitting down to work. And, like, being able to do that efficiently is, like, trying to find ways to, like, trick yourself into turning that story mode off. Mm -hmm. And I still haven't quite figured out, like, exactly what it is that makes that work. But maybe someday. (laughs) No,
2: like, I want to know, too. So if you do find out, can you let me know? Yeah.
1: Oh, believe me. If I find out, it'll be like, (laughs) listen, we all need this information.
2: (laughs) Yes. I feel like it's also different for different stories, though.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I read, I forget who it was that said it. I think maybe it was maybe like an Adrian Young um, Instagram post or something where something about how like some books want to be written at like different times of day and like Mm -hmm. feel like they come to you easier in like different kinds of weather. And that's another thing that makes like turning that story part of your brain on so hard because it's different every single time.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I'm reading a book right now called hustle and float have you heard of it i haven't no it's so it's non-fiction and it's okay. about basically being i being a person that produces things but also being a creative and just the inherent dichotomy between the yeah. idea of production like in a post-industrialized era and also this creative and and in some ways we're, the way we're talking about it is it it feels divine in some ways yeah, to yeah. and so it, it's kind of bizarre to be in that frictional space of like I need to produce this thing that mm-hmm. feels so deeply part of me you know yes. and um anyway I haven't finished the book I feel like I can't officially recommend it but I do
1: <laughs> really like it so far I think it's really great and, yeah um I'll look that up because yeah. I, um, that is like a really kind of weird liminal space to be in for sure Because mm-hmm. the act of like writing and storytelling and then the act of putting that out in the world are so just two very fundamentally different things and yeah. you're often doing them both at the same time mm. and it's weird Like <laughs> I don't have like yeah. an eloquent way to put it other than very weird very weird because yeah.
2: right now I mean would you say that you're promoting the foxglove king right now or is that gonna be really yeah. I mean I'm sure it'll pick up closer <laughs> to the date I like what's going on
1: <laughs> yeah so I'll probably like hit it harder in the new year for sure because it's mm-hmm. typically like Between like six and nine months out before a book comes out, like nine months is usually whenever like they do a cover reveal and like pre-order links go live. And pretty much once that's out, it's kind of like, this is the promo cycle. Mm -hmm. And typically you don't hit it super hard until like that, like six month, three month, just because most of your pre-orders and stuff are good. Like people are more likely to pre-order a book that comes out in like two weeks than, you know, a year. (laughs) Yeah. So, I am technically in the promo cycle, and this particular one has been strange just because the way my schedule worked out. Hello. <laughs> Sorry, my husband brought me Christmas cookies. Oh, thank you.
2: Hi, Hannah's <laughs> husband. Hi. Thank you. Thank you. You didn't bring um, we'll us any. 15 of them.
0: <laughs> we support all snacks. Like, this is wonderful. Donut
1: shop in town always makes like these really good Christmas cookies. And so I texted him and I was like, I think they have them. And he was like, say no more. So, <laughs> oh, I keep, have keep him. Keep him. Yes. He's very good. <laughs> we like him a lot. <laughs> so what was I saying before I was distracted by Christmas oh, cookies? Oh, we were talking oh, about the promo oh, cycle. Promo cycle. Yes. So the way my schedule worked out this time, it's like, so Throne came out in June. So like six months ago. And then Fox 11 coming out in March. So... Mm-hmm before like because wolf and throne were almost exactly a year apart it's like you do the promo cycle you launch the book and then I got a little bit of time to just like hermit Mm -hmm. and not feel like I had to be like hello everyone I have written book please give money for book and this time (laughs) (laughs) there was not that Mm -hmm. so and I thought it was going to be cool but I'm definitely starting to kind of feel the strain of feeling like you have to be like on all All the the time yeah and yeah I'm not Someone that that comes super naturally to. I feel like there are authors that like really excel at that and like having this public persona. And I am not one of those people. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we're learning a lot about ourselves this year and how <laughs> I want to schedule things moving forward. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, we were just talking about this actually about publishing in the hybrid space and how when oh, you're yeah. doing when you're doing indie publishing, you really have to bring yourself to the table, like all of you, all the time. But also yeah. that that is it. It's kind of a little bit similar in the trad space as well because you still have to promote your book you still have to put yourself out there in a way that is not just oh I wrote this book and that's it yeah. it's really like
1: yeah unless you're like a super heavy out. hitter that can just like post on Instagram once a year and that's all you have to do <laughs> like, I mean there are authors like that and great there for are them, people but think... like maybe someday <laughs> that sounds great but yeah it's I have so much Awe for people who do like indie and hybrid just because of the amount of work that it is, like on top of just producing the book itself. Mm -hmm. That's it's wild to me. And and they like release so much, like they typically release like multiple books within a year. Mm -hmm. And that is wild to me. My brain does not work that way. (laughs) (laughs) How long would you say it typically takes you to draft a book? A first draft takes about three months, generally, like as an average and it varies one way or the other uh and then revisions usually take like two or three months too because usually my first round of revisions is pretty intense Mm -hmm. um because my first drafts are very messy yeah
2: we were we're in a
1: revision process right now both of us um and we were just um
2: bemoaning that like right as you were coming on and that's why we
1: were like (laughs) did you hear us (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it is. Revisions are my favorite stage of the book because it's whenever you like start to see things come together, but it is also infinitely the most frustrating. <laughs>
2: I, I, I actually this
1: so is, frustrating. <laughs> yes, yeah.
2: this is not on our list of questions, but I'm asking this for you, Gabby. Okay, so. Oh, okay, <laughs> um, So, all right, if you're in a place where you don't have an editor or agent yet, and mm-hmm. you have something that will say a certain friend named Courtney thinks this is really good but also <laughs> you're trying to make it quote shiny but you uh-huh. don't have the editor agent thing how did you do that you know when you were
1: kind of where we are today yeah i leaned really really hard on critique partners mm-hmm. specifically aaron craig um we met back whenever we were querying and like we're still each other's like alpha reader in maine mm-hmm. Like, critique partner and she was super super helpful and like because we met whenever i didn't really like know what revising was like revising to me was you kind of like you read through it and you fix the grammar essentially and so she read that like first draft of wolf that had pretty much just been spell checked and then i was like this is done and like <laughs> wrote me an edit letter mm. so she she just has really good instincts really good pacing instincts particularly which is not something that I have (laughs) that's something Mm -hmm. that I Mm can help with so just leaning really hard on that and also I found that if I deliberately spend time away from a project like write it kind of keep it in a drawer and just go about my business for a month or two typically it's like your subconscious is kind of still turning those ideas over because you know like you can you have the objectivity whenever you're reading something to know like, okay, these are the parts that are not really working or the parts that need to be stronger. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't necessarily know how to fix it in that moment. But I found at least that if you leave it alone for a little while, a lot of times your brain will kind of give you those answers eventually. And it's just kind of like a question of time. So a lot of times now my editor style is super, super collaborative. Like, she's more like instead of being like here's wrong and here's how i think you should fix it she's like here's what's wrong here's a suggestion for how we could go about fixing it but what do you think Mm -hmm. would like fit your vision for this best and at this point no edit letters are like a surprise to me like whenever i'm sending it off i'm like i know exactly what is wrong with this book i just don't know how to fix it yet and then like it typically takes between like two and four months for my editor to like read and edit and get back to me and at that point i usually have an idea of like how I want to at least try to address those problems and whenever I have her to like talk it out with and tell me whether she thinks that idea is good or not then that's how we move forward but I really do think that a lot of it is just a question of time and giving yourself the time and the distance from something to kind of get some more objectivity on it and let your subconscious do its thing well I I think you probably have a a friendlier brain than mine but also a (laughs)
0: Sometimes I'm super impatient, and I guess that's my that's my problem. Like I'll put things away, but then I'll come back and I'll be like, "Why is there no answer yet, Bray?" I know. That's yeah. She's the worst.
1: Like it just takes time. But this is also (laughs) an industry where it's like the one thing I don't have.
2: I know. Yeah. Yeah. So Gabby, the answer is you have to wait, and I'm so sorry (laughs) that that's what she said. Thank you, Hannah. That's
1: my answer. least. (laughs) Who knows if that's the correct one? That is just what I have found works for me usually. Well, there have definitely been that. projects that I've spent years away from, and I'm still like, this is just irreparably broken, and there's nothing I can do about it. So, I-, hmm. I have one of those. <laughs> yeah. I think of it fondly from time to time, but I'm like, nope, that's that's under water. Are you okay. are you are you already thinking of what's after the Fox Globe King, you know, like the next trilogy yeah.
2: or whatever? I
1: yeah, I don't have anything contracted yet, but I definitely mm-hmm. am like, Kind of in that ideation stage. Mm. Where I know what I would like to pitch. And kind. Like I know the vibe. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah, I have, yeah. yeah, I have so, like, a very short pitch. Written for it. Like not one that I'm confident enough in. To like send as an option. Or anything yet. But I I certainly have an idea. Of what I want to do next. I love that. And actually one of the things. When I think it was when Fox
2: Club King. Was maybe first announced. I think you had. This is where all your your car dealership stuff comes in, right? But you have, <laughs> you have like a picture, and uh, you know of your beautiful cover, and then it had you know just like the different little pitches for different aspects. Oh of it. yeah, and, like all the, like, tropes and stuff. Yeah, and it was I think it was Ver- uh, Versailles, but derogatory. Yeah, like I was like sold. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. I knew that I wanted to do like this very like flamboyant opulent setting but I was like but I want it I want you all to know that is like not in a like praising way it's like oh, this is opulent and it's fun to look at but it's bad <laughs> it's Like
2: like we love it but and we'll eat the rich afterwards like
1: yes exactly it is
2: very much that vibe yeah there were so many things in that that I really liked, but that really just like sealed the you. deal for me. <laughs> yeah, I feel like
0: this is the perfect time to ask this question. It was one that we had, and also one that came up uh, quite a few times in the question box because sure. um, we talk a lot about how great the atmosphere in your books is, and so we're talking about Thank vibes you. here and how your mm-hmm. your next project is at the moment vibes. So, how yeah. much of <laughs> how much of that atmosphere comes in in the early draft stage, or how much do you kind of lean into um, in revisions
1: yeah I feel like it's one of the few things that doesn't change for me in revisions because whenever I have an idea like one of the very solid things about it is how I want it to feel mm-hmm. um so and so I guess that's like the atmosphere and the vibe and all that all that jazz kind of goes into that so that isn't something that really changes in revisions it's generally in my first drafts the vibe is like the most present thing (laughs) and everything else is kind of like we'll figure that out but it's gonna feel like this so um yeah that gets established fairly early on just because of like the way that my brain works and the way that my ideas come to me um and then everything else is kind of like retrofitted into that as i revise (laughs)
0: I love that because then I feel like that's really coming across so strong because that's you know that's what people Thank take you. from it. They're like, wow, this at- the atmosphere in these stories just so great. And Thank it came you. from just so many different people. <laughs> and so it's wonderful to hear that it starts mm-hmm. out that way and stays throughout the
1: story. Yeah, it's very much my ideas are very like sensory whenever I first get them. Like the feeling of being in the woods whenever like the sun is going down was kind of like the vibe that I wanted mm-hmm. with for the wolf and for the throne it was like oh, what if road trip through hell how would that feel <laughs> <laughs> and then with this one it's like it, a like you're in somewhere that's super super gorgeous but you can just tell that like underneath all of that opulence everything is just like rotting and terrible yeah that's so, my favorite so, vibe yeah they're yeah. <laughs> so, like I got with this trilogy in particular I'm getting to like explore so much of the things that I've always really been drawn to as far as like the dichotomies between death and life is a big one but also opulence and rot and holy and unholy where really is the line between these things where how does it change depending on your perspective and it's been really fun. I'm so excited to read this book.
2: And again all the vibes I mean Gabby and I are both like really into very dark yeah 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 dark stuff and so anyway I love that give me <laughs>
1: yay I hope you like it I'm I'm, I'm
2: sure so I will. will again precise derogatory you have me So yeah.
0: <laughs> I always come across the question that authors get asked are you character driven or plot driven and I feel like this is like it's feelings driven which yeah is the first time that I've been able to put a kind of framework around also the way that I write. I'm like, well, I, I wanted to feel like this and and like having this conversation, just like, oh, you don't have to pick between character and plot. You can just be like, oh, no, the yeah, vibe. there's a
1: whole lot of other stuff I feel like that goes into it. Yeah. So very emotions driven hmm. is how yeah. I would
0: categorize it yeah do you feel though that like you know your because one of one of the things that I love 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 is your characters especially your your female main characters and I wonder how how well you know them when you get into the draft stage do you kind of get to know them as you draft or do you have a very good idea of who they are
1: yeah I um again it depends I feel like I definitely get to know them better in the revising stage and that is kind of how I can tell that revising is working is whenever I start to feel like I can identify a character's motivations better and I'm able to like make those snap decisions of how they would react to something. Mm -hmm. Red, I felt like I knew pretty well from the beginning and she definitely like got more depth as I revised and learned more about writing a book and writing a character. Generally, Neve was hard to get a grasp on. I spent a lot of time in revisions for wolf kind of figuring Neve out mm-hmm. and that all served me really well once it came time to draft throne because then it was like okay I know you like I've I've spent enough time at this point figuring out what makes you tick that I feel like I know you well enough to write your book Laura I felt like I knew pretty well from the beginning mm-hmm. um she kind of came forth fully formed so and I nice said they do that <laughs> yeah, very, very kind of them, <laughs> and she didn't really change a whole lot. Like she, uh, a lot of stuff changed around her, but she was a pretty like solid point from the beginning.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think for me, what I, what I love about your characters is they have this kind of unapologetic realness to them, which makes them so relatable.
1: Thank I love you. that
0: you kind <laughs> of leave space for discovering them, but they also are real car- real people when we read them yeah which yeah. i
1: ha- i grew up reading a lot of very early fantasy that leaned like real hard on like not like other girls stuff <laughs> and so that was something that i was very like cognizant of whenever i started to write that i didn't want to do like mm-hmm. i i wanted to write girls who were like every other girl <laughs> and um who had like their flaw wasn't that they tripped sometimes or stuff like deeply flawed people doing the best they can often badly (laughs) well that definitely comes across in the best way thank you thank you
2: if you're gonna frame a romantic arc in Mm -hmm. the context of uh politics do you have any key concepts that you think about when you're doing that i
1: think anytime that i'm doing a romantic arc i think a lot about power structures and power imbalances mm-hmm. specifically because in my first two books the setups were romances that could very very easily tip into very I hate to say like unhealthy power dynamics because like mm-hmm. I think there's room in fiction to explore unhealthy things and that's fine but I didn't want to do that in those books that wasn't my goal so trying and I guess it's not like te- it's like Of a framework of politics, but it's not necessarily like related to the politics of the books. But I wanted to be able to kind of take these romances that would fit into those kind of expected, very unbalanced power dynamics and subvert that. And a lot of that came down to making sure that I was very intentional with consent, particularly. And that's kind of like a key tenet of Wolf, was a lot about consent. That uh, was on purpose <laughs> and making sure that with the points of views that the reader is given that they're able to kind of like map that consent and that nothing mm-hmm. like feels like it's coming out of left field, like mm-hmm. that you understand the decisions that the character is making about everything, but particularly about their romantic entanglements. I think
2: too, in the fantasy space, I, I've seen a lot of really great fantasy books that have been coming out, you know, in the last x amount of time right like the last say 10 years even but um you know when you look at old fantasy like there is like the kind of generic female character and so when we're talking about these complex female characters and how to do uh romance arcs you know with uh you know femme people like how does that work yeah
1: yeah and to just like I I feel like making sure that everyone who was like involved in the romance is like a 3d character on their own so that like you you're rooting for more than just the romance you're rooting for them as individuals before you're ever rooting for them as a couple or you know thruple, however your romantic shape turns out putting in the work to make sure that the characters come across fully Mm-hmm. makes a big difference in the romance yeah some of the things that I sometimes miss in,
0: in fantasy romance is that there's so much effort put on the world building and you know how all these intricate yeah. magic things are going to play out that sometimes the characters who don't get their own POVs don't have as much depth as everybody else yeah. in and so yeah I, I definitely appreciate that you take the time then to actually delve Thank into you. those characters <laughs> and make them fully formed and fleshed out.
2: Thank you Okay so a really good friend of mine I was this is a, a prior project I was working on but I was getting stuck in some of the backstabbing of mm, things mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. uh I was like what what is the thing about politics like what do you need and she said it's all about power and humiliation I was just curious ooh. if I know right and I was like ooh <laughs> yes you,
1: you know did. but
2: <laughs> I know but I was wondering if you agree or if you disagree or if there's something else you would add i
1: don't know or just your perspective on that um i would i wouldn't disagree i i think again it kind of all comes back to character and getting to know both your protagonist and your antagonist well enough to understand why they would be pursuing power in the first place with everyone it's going to shake out into like big picture and smaller picture why they want things to be the way that they are so some of it is going to be like personal power personal gain and then some of it is like their larger worldview and kind of being able to at least on the surface kind of pick out what parts of this character want what and why Mm -hmm. and then how that is going to interact with the other characters and kind of like where they can agree where they can disagree because like so much of it takes place in kind of a gray area Whenever you're like really getting into the nitty gritty of it, if you're trying to do a court intrigue, or something where the politics do play a big picture, you're going to have betrayals and compromise, you're going to have people that are in it just for personal gain and are like making up all the stuff about worldview, and then people that it's the opposite. So just really getting into the head of the character and figuring out what you need them to do for the narrative, but also like what makes sense for them on the micro level.
0: Hmm. So do you then have some core questions that you need answered for yourself before you can sit down and start drafting? Or do you just need to feel in a comfortable space enough to say, okay, now I feel like I I have a grip
1: of what I want this book to look like. Let me give it a try. I don't do like a whole lot of pre-planning but kind of like what we were talking about earlier, most of that is just because like whenever I sit down to work and the brain clicks on, that's whenever I start figuring things out. So I I have a hard time being like today I'm going to sit down and I'm going to outline and I'm going to like do these character analysis and figure it out that way. Whereas if I'd like sit down and draft, that's whenever I get those ideas. And so I'll typically just try to like keep a notebook or something next to me. And if I have... An epiphany about a character. Just make sure I write it down and keep going with the draft. So it's um very much like a discovery process. I feel like I should be taking notes because I feel like you're.
0: <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> i could just have a I'm very uh, flattering. <laughs> I just, no, just like as you're answering some of these questions, I'm like, oh yeah, I feel like that. That sounds like it. It could fit with the way i think things. <laughs> so- yeah.
1: I've tried to be like the person that does a bunch of like character analysis and beats stuff like that. No it just never like even whenever I do them I don't feel like it really helps like I feel like being like in the moment with drafting is really the only time I'm able to figure it out. Yeah yeah me too.
2: I wonder do you feel like you're
1: almost living that process then? Yeah yeah and whenever it's it's one of those things like when you do get in the groove it's hard to turn it off and that Mm -hmm. happens to me a lot like if I'm at the end of a draft because at that point I've kind of like had my epiphanies you know like I've rounded out everything in my brain enough to where I even feel like I could write the end of a draft because a lot of times if I haven't had those moments yet I'll get to like writing the climax like the last five chapters or something and I'll start over because I'm like I don't feel like I know enough about this book to try and write the end of it yet but I feel like if I go back and I start fixing that then that's whenever I'm gonna like have that moment Mm -hmm. so yeah I once I get to the end I finally like know what I'm doing and I find that that's whenever I'm putting in like my 5,000 words a day like that's whenever I feel like I can't pull myself away from the computer whereas up until that point it's like pulling teeth to get Mm -hmm you know, my 1500. And then I'm like, I never (laughs) want to look at this again until tomorrow.
2: (laughs) So this is another question that I had that I I feel like is kind of related, but almost in the vein of hiding secrets from Mm -hmm. your reader. um, Do you have any advice about that or how you hide them from yourself until like you can get to them at a good time? I'm just curious if there's any kind of thought uh, process
1: for that. A lot of revision because I usually, if I am drafting, will like show my cards way too early Mm -hmm. because like if I know, uh, yeah, so it kind of becomes where in my first draft, it's like, I'm just going to tell you everything straight up. And then whenever I go back and I'm like tweaking it and revising it, that's whenever I'm like, okay, I can take out this bit of me telling you. And instead, because I know how I want to do it, whenever it's revealed, I can foreshadow that. And, like, I, I feel like I tend to be kind of like heavy handed with my foreshadowing just because I'm like, I want to make sure you get this. I want to make sure that once you arrive, you understand that this is not just like coming out of nowhere. Like, this has been set up. So, that I probably should dial it back a little bit. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it's just like, do the thing and then like take it out and then sprinkle in your breadcrumbs thank you I for saying admire that people who <laughs> hide secrets well though because i feel like i have to keep
0: lists of like what i know and who knows what yes because otherwise it's just like what <laughs> i forget like because i know everything so i'm just like well
1: yeah especially whenever you're in like comment. that drafting stage and it's like it feels like it's been ages since you wrote the beginning of the book and now you're in the middle of it and you're like I don't remember who I've told this information to. Yeah. So like whatever, I was going back and reading the first draft of the second book in the Nightshade Crown Empire and I had the same reveal like three times and I was like, well, this will not do. <laughs> 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 it's because I kept forgetting that I had already done it. Oh, it's so <laughs> hard. Thanks it's again for
2: saying that because I just feel like I needed to hear that because sometimes I'm like gosh Listen. I am not smart enough to write this thing sometimes you know like I
1: have that thought 15 times a day <laughs> like, I'm like this seems like a really cool idea whenever it was just an idea but now I'm having to execute it and it turns out I am not smart enough to do that. <laughs> oh. so is your favorite part of the book then is it when it's
2: done or before it's done like before you've even started oh. just curious.
1: <laughs> I don't know I feel like I really like the copy edit stage. Mm. So that's when the book is like technically done, but you're like going in and you're just like, you're tweaking your wording, you're making sure that like all the sentences are as shiny as you can make them. And it's like the moment when the hard work is done and you're just making it look really nice. Mm -hmm. Mm. I really like that stage just because it's the first time that I can be like, okay, like this is good. I, I did a good job. I got an A in (laughs) public. That's fun. I I really love the revising stage too, though. Really, the only stage that drives me nuts is drafting, and it's just because like the difference between what you want and what you're able to produce at that point feels insurmountable. Like it, it just the finish line is like over here, and you're right here, and that is very annoying to me <laughs> and it's part of the process and everybody has to do it but it's my least favorite part just because I want the images that are in my head whenever I listen to my playlist it's like I I want that now but I can't have that now I have to figure out how to get there <laughs> it's the impatience right it's like exactly yeah let me have it right now <laughs> exactly but it's spring fully formed from my Pinterest board into this word <laughs> <document>. <laughs> yeah
2: so then like when you're, because it sounds like you and Aaron really lean on each other a lot. Is mm-hmm. that something then where, I mean, because this is something like Gabby and I do and like our, also with our friend Nadine and we just mm-hmm. basically cry to each other. I mean, is that, is that the tactic to get <laughs> that, through it?
1: Yeah, that's, Um, I think that's how everybody does it really is everyone <laughs> just, you know, you have Christ. multiple dark nights of the soul until you're like, oh, I did it. <laughs> Great. Okay.
2: I'm just, I just need to, I need to get
1: occasions where it's like I'm trying to explain something to Aaron, where it's like I can't figure out how to do this these are all the things that I've thought about here is like a bazillion paragraphs on how this problem is so big that I cannot possibly solve it and then it's like as I am explaining it to another person is when I'm like oh wait I know what to do now thank you for your help and she's like <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> i'm laughing because i do this to nadine i'm like i have
0: to talk about this thing because i don't know what i did and i broke it literally every single
1: writer that i know does the same thing like (laughs) the terror of the blank page is real no matter how many books you have written (laughs) both comforting and terrifying yes (laughs) i know it's one of those things where it's like i thought that i would be past like the fear at this point but no no (laughs) not yet maybe someday
2: Well, can you talk then about how it's different now,
1: right? Because it sounds like the fear
2: is still there and, you know, death is, like, rattling at your neck.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you know, the the reaper is is still in the corner, but other than that. (laughs) (laughs) It's mostly, it's different now because I plan more Mm -hmm. and because my agent is really good at, like, kicking my ass and making sure that I do a synopsis, like, before I even sell the book like Mm -hmm. she's like we're going to figure out how this book goes before we contractually obligate you to write it, (laughs) which is nice and it's not something that I would do on my own so I'm glad that she makes me do it so a lot more planning a lot more like time management the biggest difference between kind of writing when once you're on a publishing schedule and writing beforehand is not having the luxury to like write when you feel like it because even if, you know, the muse doesn't show up, I still have a deadline in three weeks, you know, so I'm going to have to sit down and get something done. You regardless- still have to show up. <laughs> yeah, I still have to show up and do it even if I don't, I'm not feeling it. And knowing that is helpful, weirdly, just because mm-hmm. I know whenever I was just like writing for myself and writing for fun in college, I would go, you know, months without writing a word because I would just do it whenever it sounded fun to sit down and write. And so I like tricked myself into thinking that that was the only time I could do it is when I was feeling inspired. And once you are in a position where you can't do that anymore and you have to sit down and write and you learn that, yes, you can do it, even if you don't necessarily feel like you can at the start of the session, that is like weirdly empowering of Mm. knowing that your brain can do the thing, even if you don't feel like it. Good to know. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I
0: still make myself do it, even when I don't. I think yeah. the, the part where I struggle actually is the revisions. I was just uh, telling Courtney about this earlier, yeah. where I said, "You just because for me, there's a point where after I draft, I have to now sit down and figure out the things that I broke and or yeah. stuff that I walked myself into plot holes for. Yeah. And it's that phase of having to sit still and think about how to fix it that really gets to me because I'm such a doer that if I can't just be like Doing the thing. I feel like yeah. I'm not doing the thing.
1: <laughs> like the sitting yeah. and thinking is a big part of it, but it all it feels like you aren't doing anything even so frustrating. You are. It really is. Mm-hmm. The whole process, very frustrating. <laughs> Zero. Yeah, to- and then we just
2: keep coming back. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny because we keep doing it, right? And it it mm-hmm. does um like it's so interesting to me because I, I had a wonderful weekend and it was because It was like the first time in a while that I've really gotten to actually just sit down and just be with my story for a lot of time. And to me, I was like, this is why I do this thing. Like, this is is the whole
1: thing because I was like, wow, this is what it's like to be well. Yeah. (laughs) Isn't that nice? Yeah. I was talking to a friend yesterday. We were talking about like market and like publishing market and how it's really easy to kind of fall into the trap of being like, how do I make these ideas like the most marketable? How do I Cater to this trend that's going on right now so that it can be successful, and how you can really hamstring yourself creatively trying to do that. Because if you are not having fun working on the story, then what's the point? (laughs) Like nobody Mm -hmm. else is going to have fun if you're not having fun. So you kind of have to find the thing that is going to bring you joy and just really dial into it, even if it's not the thing that seems like it's going to be at the top of the market. Yeah. And you can never guess the market, really. No, yeah, that's too is it's just, it's a fool's game to try and (laughs) figure out what's going to be popular and what's going to blow up because no one knows. None of us know. It's all just guess (laughs) what?
2: So I have a question, I think, in the vein of breaking into this kind of niche thing, whether that's getting an agent or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, because I feel like you know, we talked about how great you are at Atmosphere. I think that's one of the things that, you know, I love about your work. But also, it's it's got like a romantic line, but it's also fantasy, right? And I'm like, that is exactly what I want. Give it to me every time, <laughs> you know. And can you just talk a little bit more about how you got your agent? Was your book... Because I know it's you said it changed a lot, but yeah, for people out there, I think we have a lot of friends that want to write in that vein. I know I do. I I want an agent for that. Give me that. You know. So
1: (laughs) tell us the secret. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, I will preface by saying that this was I signed with my agent in I think 2018, like early 2018. So the game has changed a lot since I've been in it. Mm -hmm. I will start with that. So I wrote for the wolf the book that became For the Wolf, in 2016. And I actually had no intention of pursuing publication with it whenever I started it. I had just had my daughter, was in a very deep fugue of postpartum depression and just needed something that was like an escape, uh, something that was just for me. I was also very sleep deprived. (laughs) So um, I just basically started writing the book that I wanted to read and i had done that since I was a kid like that had always kind of just been a form of entertainment for me so it wasn't really anything different and I just started doing that um and I slammed every single trope that I enjoyed into this book whether it really fit or not and wrote it in like three months which was the fastest I had ever written anything and it wasn't until after I was like rereading it that I was like I feel like there's something here like I feel like this could be a real book but I had no idea how one would go about making something a real book so I googled I hit the google google told (laughs) me to join twitter so (laughs) there's that but (laughs) I did (laughs) for better or worse But it did help me figure out how the industry worked. That's when I was like, oh, okay. So you, in order to publish with like one of these larger publishing houses, one needs an agent. And in order to get an agent, you have to send a query and all of this stuff. And this was also at the point where I still didn't really know what revising was. I was like, I have written book, book is done. Now I find agent. That's not how that goes. So I met Erin on Twitter. So, you know, Twitter's done, like, a, a couple good things. That's one of them. Um, Aaron. <laughs> yeah, Aaron. <laughs> and we were both entering Pitch Madness, because this was, like, the golden age of Twitter pitch contests. And so Pitch Madness was, like, a precursor to Pitch Wars. So it was kind of the same idea. And we were both entering with fairy tale retellings. So we got hooked up. We swapped manuscripts. This is when Aaron was, like, revising is when you go in and you fix the broken parts of a story. And I was, like, oh, okay, Cool. You learn something new every day. And so she wrote me an edit letter and I edited it, actually revised it, made it like marginally make sense instead of be just like a mess of tropes and like longing glances. There was a lot of longing glances and there's, there still are. Um, So with that. Which we appreciate just to say. (laughs) You know what the people want. So. With that version, I got into another, yet another pitch contest. This one was called Rev Pit. I don't think it's still, well, I don't think any of them still exist now, actually. But I think this one, like, died a long time ago. But I actually got into this one and ended up, like, rewriting the book from the ground up with them. And at this point, I had originally written the book as New Adult because it was, like, right after Akatar was hitting really huge. And it was, like, originally published as a New Adult title. And I was like, okay, that's kind of on, like, on the level with what I'm doing here. So that seems like a good spot for it. And it was during rough Pit that the mentor I was working with was like, so bad news. New adult's actually not going to be a thing. You should probably revise this down to YA. And I was like, okay. So I did. <laughs> and the book just lost a lot in that revision. Like, structurally, it worked better. It was a good revision structurally, but just something about like the the essence of it, I guess, didn't land. But that was the version of the manuscript that got got into pitch wars. So I did pitch wars, rewrote the book yet again. It was still YA at this point. I didn't get an agent through the pitch wars showcase. I got like ten requests, none of them panned out. And at this point, I'm thinking this book is probably dead. Like it had. If I had followed, like, conventional wisdom at the time, I would have shelved it. But I just felt really connected to the story. I felt very strongly about it. A lot of that is probably because of, like, the state, like, the, the mental state that I was in whenever I was writing it and, like, what it had become to me. It was just very, like, a personal talismanic thing. So I did like a final send off where I sent to a lot of new agents like who hadn't been agents at the time that I was originally querying. And one of those was my agent, Whitney, who had she had been an editor at Tor and then had like just very recently swapped from doing that into agenting. And so I signed with her, rewrote the book again. <laughs> and we went out with it as YA. And it failed like four acquisitions meetings, which was super fun and great. And so I get an email from her that was like, hey, let's hop on the phone. And I was like, okay, this is going to be like the book is dead in the water conversation. But she was more like, so we've kind of like run to the end of the YA list. How do you want to move forward? And I was like, well, what if I just made it adult? She's like, sure, go for it. So that's what I did. And then it sold in like a month after it was adult. So it's like, oh, so that's what it was supposed to be. Great. So you knew from the start
2: yes yeah yeah
1: it's you have the right a, vibe feeling <laughs> yeah it spent a lot of time as a ya manuscript but it was always meant to be adult mm-hmm. and in that kind of like crossover space mm-hmm. which can be frustrating because like it gets categorized as ya a lot of the time and like i don't it's fine i feel like age categories for fiction are pretty arbitrary anyway they're super messed up as well yeah like, just, but yeah yeah i i really like kind of being that middle ground space where it's like if you feel like you're kind of done with ya but you're not ready to go like full brandon sanderson yeah <laughs> it's like yeah here, you can land here with me for a little while i do
0: feel like na should be a thing like a proper should. thing, because it, it's yeah. just not recognized as a category but I yeah it, it the was. thing
1: is, is that it, it exists it's just being published under the adult umbrella yeah. So a lot of it is like expectation too, because then you get people that are reading these books that are like meant to be a crossover, and are like, "Well, this isn't like a seven hundred page super political tome, so this isn't adult fantasy." And it's like,
0: mm, yeah, yeah.
1: It's, uh, yeah. We we talk a lot
0: about expectation and how just yeah, you know, just yeah, yeah, yeah being able to just knowing exactly what you're putting forth and what you're what readers are going to expect from what you pitch and yeah. I think part of that is how much you talk about your book before it comes out but also yeah. you know then you always at some point too. don't yeah. always have exactly control of yeah. the, book, the way that it's categorized so
2: yeah and we uh we've recently did an interview with uh jacquetta um you know she writes middle grade mm-hmm. and you know we were also talking about that weird space of middle grade and YA but like lower YA yeah you know and so there's these weird gaps but I feel like particularly with new adult it's so weird because every time I talk to people all the people that actually like want to read th- like people are like yeah that's a thing but it's not a thing right yeah and yeah. i think everyone everyone out there besides publishing is like it's a thing <laughs> <laughs> you know everyone so what yeah, i, it's I just heard so weird. was
1: that it was like because bookstores didn't want to like recategorize their shelves or whatever but now it's like y'all recategorized to have four rows of funko pops i feel like you can exactly like they the could right. fault <laughs>
2: This is the real dark politics conversation. It's the Funko Pops. Yeah, we've reached it.
1: What do we do about the Funko Pops?
2: I I think that that is actually the next thing that we need to talk about. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. that didn't come through in the question box. So unfortunately,
1: so (laughs) what if it had somebody that was just like really angry about Funko Pops? But also, them.
2: I'd be so impressed because I would wonder how they could have anticipated we talk about Funko Pops, and <laughs> I'd want I'd want to be their friend for so many questions to, to know the future. <laughs> so <few So>. answered. <laughs> <laughs> hmm.
0: all right, um, Courtney, do you have any more specific questions that you wanted oh, to dive into?
2: Before no, we get to the just. I just love talking to you Hannah. I don't have
1: any other Thank specific things. So it's so, <laughs> so easy to talk to. It's always so nice whenever you can just like have a conversation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, but we, we do
2: we do have our very great questions that we always yes. ask. So Gabby, always. which one do you, I'll let you I'll let you pick. Uh, I want to talk about your story beast. Okay. So, um
0: Ooh. you so you wrote a big scary biblically accurate angel with a bunch of eyes. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have to know where the the bunch of eyes,
1: why the bunch of eyes? I mean, I love the bunch of eyes. (laughs) I'm very curious. (laughs) So this was very much like, I just came up with it and was like, yeah, that sounds good. But now I've thought about it because I was thinking about it earlier. And I was like, I think that subconsciously the bunch of eyes was supposed to be like the many different points of view that you can look at a story from and the way that it like changes shape. I use like the metaphor of a prism a lot, like both in my writing and in how I like think about story in general and how just it changes color and it changes perception depending on the way that you turn it and how you can take the same premise or the same trope and depending on like who you give it to and how that person turns it and how they look at it you're going to end up with completely different interpretations
2: oh that's so good i love
1: that
2: (laughs) (laughs) This is, I mean, this is my favorite question all the time. I mean, well, it, it's almost tied with the next question, but you know, we always get so many interesting answers, and yeah. there's so many, there's so many different shapes of how people want to tell a story, or it can, mm-hmm. or do, or whatever, and it's always so interesting to hear the answer to this question because every time it's very different.
1: Yeah. So, and I, I mean, I feel like, especially like a lot of my stories start very tropey and very like I want to do the forest fairy tale or I want to do the like sword and sorcery court intrigue and it's not Mm -hmm. like these completely off the wall premises that you see these people coming up with that it's just like I literally would never have thought of that and it's incredible that your brain works that way mine just doesn't (laughs) but I like taking these settings and kind of setups that feel familiar and being like okay but we're just gonna like turn it just a little bit like this and see what else we can squeeze out of it that we haven't before
2: yeah like you're gonna be like rot but make it pretty
1: yeah <laughs> I
2: love that <laughs> it works it does work again you know <laughs> totally my vibe um okay so our next question is what's your favorite snack
1: Ooh, this changes daily currently <laughs> is it I'm gonna, I'm christmas cookies? cookies christmas cookies yeah that's <laughs> i'm thinking about those right now but <laughs> there's um i i'm a big Cheez it's fan mm. anything cheese based really like i'm not picky if it's cheese it's if it's like the cheddar checks mix any sort of cheese based cracker snack that you can give to me i will happily eat also, my husband may he's he's a big Christmas guy as I feel like we've established at this point, mm-hmm. but he makes this stuff every year called Christmas crack. That's what he calls it. I don't know if that's what it's supposed to be called, but it's like saltines with butter, and you melt chocolate on top of it, and it's it it tastes like a toffee like chocolate situation. Oh my and god! In my fridge right now, and that's what oh. I ate for lunch, which was probably a bad decision, but here we are. No. sounds like
0: a pretty good decision
1: to me yeah i had that for lunch i'm about to eat christmas cookies making really really good dietary choices i like that though that's what i mean that's what i would like yeah
2: but you're in tennessee right i'm in tennessee yeah that's that's a problem for my commute sorry i would
1: mail it but (laughs) (laughs) it would probably get there in february (laughs) yeah that's true (laughs) december mail
2: (laughs) oh my goodness well thank you so much hannah this was so fun Thank yeah, you. we had that such a great time fun.
0: talking to you. Thank you for joining Thank us. So
2: much. Be brave. Hey, Beasley. Remove the Funkos. We want new adults.